Philippians chapter 3 this morning. While you're turning there, just a couple of announcements. One, next Saturday is our church picnic out at Top of the World, and we would love to have you there. Great opportunity also to invite maybe some friends and family to come with you. Um, So please, though, get out there at the lobby and see Debbie and sign up. Uh, It's going to be a beautiful day out there next Saturday, and we'd love to see you out there for our church picnic. We're also going to have a special guest with us. It's coming with Lisa and I on uh, Saturday. She's going to be at the picnic with us on Saturday, and then she's going to be with us on Sunday, Uh, and we're going to introduce her to you next week. I'll be continuing my series in the book of Philippians next Sunday as well. And then, the first Saturday in November, which is coming very rapidly, Saturday, November the 4th, from 10 till 2, right over in the cafeteria is our next seminar, this one on understanding the Bible, how to get more out of your study of the Word of God, how to get more out of your reading and your meditation and just connecting with the Word of God on a deeper level. I think every Christian should take this seminar And if you've taken it before, feel free to take it again. I think it would greatly benefit you. So please sign up for that. There are postcards out there as well, not only to take one for you, but also to take one to invite maybe someone to come with you that day. Again, there will be a catered lunch, and everything is free of charge. And as I shared with you last week, these seminars that we do are... Everything that you would get if you had to pay for a Bible college or seminary course that would cost you hundreds of dollars to take, you coming here to the Oasis and, you know, seizing these opportunities, you get to do this for free. And uh, so, again, just great stuff that we're going to keep providing for our community, and we hope that you and many others will take advantage of it. Well, this morning in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is fighting for the joy of the Philippians. That that might seem strange at first, like he's fighting for their joy. Yeah. I think as Christians, it's something that we need to do. We need to fight for joy in our life. Why I say that is because for many Christians... We settle for seeking to be happy in life. And happiness is something that, compared to joy, is very superficial, it's very shallow, and it's certainly based only on circumstances. If my circumstances are good, then I'm happy. If they're not good, then I'm not happy. And that's the way the world lives. That's the only level that they can live at, is I have to keep you know, seeking this and going here and going there and experiencing this because I want to be happy and I'm just hoping that eventually these things will make me happy. The problem is that happiness in that sense is never something that can be sustained, never something that lasts because that's not something that God's involved with. God wants to build into our lives And wants us as his children to experience joy. 
And joy is something that is so much deeper than happiness. And it's certainly something that's not based on our circumstances. It is this, again, inner sense of well-being that we can have as God's children, regardless of our situation or our circumstances. In fact, it's very interesting, too, that if you do like word studies and whatnot in the Greek language, you will find that the word for rejoice, which Paul uses here in Philippians 3.1, is very close to the word for grace and very close to the word for spiritual gifts. And so the, all of them are sort of tied together that, that really what rejoicing is, is delighting in or being glad for God's grace. Knowing that whatever I'm going through, God will give me the supernatural empowerment and enablement from Him to be able to navigate whatever it is. And so that's why it's so much deeper and so much better and, and, uh, not based on anything circumstantial. And Paul wanted to fight for the Philippians' joy. Because even while he was in prison, he was certainly still experiencing the joy of the Lord. But he was hearing that maybe this church in Philippi, that many of them in that church weren't experiencing the joy of the Lord. That's why Paul even said, hey, my greatest joy, what's far better than anything I could experience on earth, is to go and be with Christ, Philippians chapter 1. But Paul says, I'm okay if God wants to let me behind for a while so that I can help you in the progress of your joy, Philippians chapter 1. And so Paul says, that's what I'm about to do. We know that God took joy so seriously that he sent his own son into this world so that he could implant within us a joy that was so deeply implanted that it could never be erased by any circumstance. Are you experiencing that joy this morning as you've come here to the house of God? Again, God takes joy so seriously that He sent His one and only Son into this world to implant within us a joy that can never be erased. Even the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross and despised its shame. So joy is a big deal. And I hope today that if nothing else, that we as Christians finally make a decision not to keep seeking and settling to be happy, but to truly experience the joy of the Lord, which the writer Nehemiah says is our strength. Which I think is one of the reasons why not only are there so many joyless Christians, but there are so many Christians or followers of Jesus Christ who are in a weakened state. They're not feeling very strong. Because much of our strength as Christians 
is derived from our understanding and experience of joy. Being able to, as Paul said in Philippians 3, rejoice in the Lord. So what are the things that Paul shares here in Philippians chapter 3 with the Philippians that may help them to experience joy? Maybe for the very first time in their life as a Christian or at least to restore that joy? Well, the first thing is be on guard against false teachers or false doctrine. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble for me. Because truth bears repeating. And he's going to remind them here that it is truth in our lives that brings joy. A truth that was being undermined by false teachers and false doctrine in the church at Philippi. Which is why he goes on to say, it is a safeguard for you. And then he doesn't mince words, does he, when he talks about false teachers. He calls them dogs. Now, not that Paul is against little doggies. Maybe Paul was a dog lover, But in his day and age, this was a derogatory term. And Paul says, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. And he's speaking about those what we call Judaizers who were trying to come in and infiltrate the people of God and say, oh, we're okay with you having Jesus in your life, but now you still need to pile the works on. You still need to make sure you're circumcised. You still need to go through all these rituals and rules and regulations. And that's where your joy will be. And Paul says, do not listen to them. Because it is only when you and I know the truth that not only will it be the truth that sets us free, but only knowing the truth can bring joy in our life. Therefore, if we give in or listen to false doctrine and false teaching, it will rob us and undermine us of our joy. In fact, that's exactly what lies will do in our life. And that's why the Bible warns us against listening to the devil who is the father of what? lies. And many Christians today are suffering from a lack of joy in their life because they are, they are believing lies. They are listening to the lies of the enemy. They have bought into some kind of untruth, something that doesn't line up with the word of God. And therefore their joy is being literally sucked out of their life, sapped from them because their mind is not staying with truth. I'll even go a step further. This also reminds us that we better as Christians have a desire to know the truth and to do everything we can to put our lives in a position where we are gaining more and more truth in our life because it is the truth and keeping our minds focused on the truth that can bring joy into our life. Which is again why God encourages us in his word. Read my word. Study my word. Meditate on my word. Study the truth. 
You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. And one of the reasons how we can experience freedom is through joy, through, again, not being tied to the circumstances and situations of our life, but being able to walk every day with this great inner sense of well-being, knowing that even if I do go through something hard and troubling and, and all of this, that God will give me his very sufficient grace to deal with it. And so I'm so glad for his grace, so thankful for his grace that I go, amen, God. I rejoice in the Lord and I will not allow any teaching that comes into my life that even says Christ plus something else or not Christ alone. Because that's what was happening in Philippi. They, they weren't saying, well, get rid of Jesus in your life. See, that, that, the devil and, and, and our spiritual enemies are too slick for that. But what they do try to do with us as Christians is say, you got Jesus, but you need this and that and all these other things. And we start piling on all this stuff into our life. Because we really haven't got to a place in our life where we've experienced joy. And so we start going after the lesser things of happiness. Grabbing onto these things. And then obviously because those things don't last, they're not sustainable. We have to keep, even as Christians, going through life trying to run after that and run after that. And hopefully get to a place in our life, like I've said many times before, where we land at the end of our rainbow and get that pot of gold. The problem is, nothing apart from Jesus can ever give us anything lasting like that. And that's why Paul's fighting for their joy here by reminding them, you need to be on guard against false teaching. Anything but Christ alone, anything plus Christ alone. Be on guard. Because it will rob you and undermine our joy. Well, the second thing he says in verse 3 is realize who we are. You see, Paul is saying that it's only when Christians truly understand our identity. And there is an identity crisis, I believe, in the church today. Many Christians, because we don't really know the truth, we don't even know who we are anymore. Or by running after the world, what they offer to us to try to seek happiness, we've lost ourselves in the pursuit of all these worldly things, and we forget who we are in Christ. So Paul here gives a great fourfold description of a Christian in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, first of all, we are the circumcision. In other words, he's saying, we are the people of God in Christ alone. And you don't need anything external, any kind of work to add to that. Remember that you are the people of God. As Peter said, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his own, that we might show forth good works and glorify his name. John says, Beloved, we are the children of God now. Do you wake up every day realizing, I'm a child of God? 
I'm a child of God. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, realize who you are. Because when we begin to really understand and grasp who we are, it should bring great joy into our life. That the Son of God left heaven and came to earth and died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could be a people of His own. So that we could never, would never have to be left to ourselves to figure all this out. But that God would walk with us every step of the way, every day and every moment of the day. You are the circumcision, he says. Don't let anybody try to diminish who you are in Jesus Christ. Know who you are. Hold your head up high, Paul is saying. And then he says, here's another description of the Christian. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Doesn't that remind you of the conversation that Jesus had with the woman of Samaria? When she's tried to get him into a debate over, you know, where we worship and we worship in a place differently from you. And Jesus turned to her and said, it really doesn't matter what the place is. That's not going to be the issue anymore. It's going to be, are you worshiping me by the Spirit or not? And that's what he goes on to say. The Father is looking for those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. They are the true worshipers of God, Jesus said in John chapter 4. Sad to say again today, there's a lot of worship going on today in many churches around this world that call themselves Christian. But a lot of it is not being directed, guided, empowered, and all of that by the Spirit of God. It is more a display of human skill and ability and wit and technology and wisdom, but it has very little spiritual power to it or in it. And Paul is saying, I'll tell you what worship is. Worship is when we individually and corporately let the Spirit of God take over. So that if you want to say amen, Amen. thank you. It's okay. And if you're worshiping by the Spirit of God too, that means that you won't even care if somebody hears your voice even though you might not be able to sing very well. Because you're, you're in the Spirit. And you have lost then track of what anybody else thinks or cares about. All you care about is you're being carried away by the Spirit of God. And, oh, and you might even raise your hand every once in a while. And not that it, again, has to be external. But all I'm saying is, Whatever the Spirit of God is leading, that's what God wants to see in His people. Worship God through the Spirit. And let the Spirit just take over. That's a description of a Christian. So many churches can spend a lot of time especially with their Sunday service, trying to make sure everything is all spit and polished, if you know what I mean. But if the Spirit of God is not behind it or in it, it can impress people as far as, wow, they're, they're very talented. 
Man, that pastor, he's, he's, you know, he's a, a great orator. But I, I love what Paul said. Paul said, I don't care that people think I'm a great communicator or orator. If the Spirit of God and His power is not flowing through my words... Paul says, I want my ministry to be a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, not a demonstration of human ability and human skill. And then Paul goes on to say, a Christian is also those who exalt in Christ Jesus. Anything that we can do to elevate, magnify Jesus Christ, to lift him up, to place him in front, To remind us all that He is sufficient. That in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in Him. Because we even know that that's what the Holy Spirit said. That His primary ministry and mission was. Is to make sure that Jesus Christ gets exalted. You'll know when the Spirit of God is working. If Jesus Christ is being exalted. And then finally Paul says... A Christian is also one who does not rely on human credentials. Does not rely on the power or the arm of the flesh. Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Paul said to the Galatian Christians, Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit and now you're, you're trying to finish your Christian life by human effort? Paul says, human effort will not get us anywhere. Don't trust in your flesh. Don't trust in your fallen human nature. Don't keep trying in that way. That will never advance you or make any progress, especially in experiencing joy. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So many Christians are trusting in their own self. Again, adopting the philosophy of the world. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, if you will. And Paul says, no, no, a a, a Christian especially one who seeks to experience the joy of the Lord, will never trust in the arm of the flesh. The arm of the flesh will fail us every time. It is only in trusting in the resources of the the Holy Spirit, the resources of God, the gifts of God, the grace of God, do we ever get anywhere and experience His joy. So the first two things in fighting for joy that Paul says to this church is be on guard against anything that's not true and put your life in the direction where you're going to continue to gain more and more truth. That will bring joy. False teaching, false doctrine, lies will rob your joy. And secondly, he says, realize who you are. Realize your identity of who you are in Jesus Christ every day. And then he says, thirdly, realize who we were. Because honestly, it's in realizing who we were before Jesus Christ that really begins to make us thankful for who we are now in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul lists all of these, if you will, human credentials. He says, hey, I've got credentials 
He says, if anyone, you know, wants to talk about credentials, let me give you a reason for wanting to put confidence in human credentials. He says, I'll have more. Notice, he says, verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee, meaning he dotted all his I's, he crossed all his T's, he made sure that he did all those good works. He went through every regulation and ritual that, that the law required. He said, in my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. Literally, he's saying, I didn't lack any passion and I certainly didn't lack sincerity. I murdered Christians. That's why sometimes it makes me cringe when I hear even other Christians say, oh, but God bless them, they're sincere. Sincerity has nothing to do with it if it's not true. A person can be very sincere and sincerely wrong, as Paul was. A person can be very passionate about something and zealous like Paul and be totally off base. Which is why we need truth along with passion and zeal and fire to be able to do it right. So Paul says, I didn't lack any of these things. He says, according to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. But notice what Paul says. These assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying... All these things got me nowhere spiritually. I stacked up all my credentials and all my degrees and all my good works and everything. He says, it never got me anywhere spiritually. It never brought any rest to my soul. It never gave me any lasting joy in my life at all. In fact, Paul is listing all these because he says, if anybody, if this could have worked for anybody... If good works and being a good person could have worked for anybody in human history, Paul said it would have worked for me and it didn't work for me. He said the answer in my life was one person, Jesus Christ and my relationship with him. That was the answer to my joy and everything else in my life. It was found in one relationship, Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul ends this passage from verse 7 through verse 11 by reminding the Philippians of one final point. If you and I are going to experience joy in our life, we've got to be mindful of what is truly valuable. Be mindful of what is truly valuable. What I mean by that, let me illustrate it this way. As you and I walk through life every day, I mean, literally, every day. We could look out there at the world and see price tags, if you will, on everything. Everything. And including human beings, if you will. And God is trying to get us to see that 
the way to experience joy is by going through life and choosing the things that are of highest value to God. Because if we pick those things, rather than settling for other things, then we'll really experience abundant living and the joy of the Lord. And that's why God is so passionate about this truth. Because he sees and has seen far too many of of his followers down through history choosing lesser things, living their life and putting so much effort and energy in choosing things that really do not bring them any joy. Any sense of satisfaction or fulfillment. And God is like, don't you get it? Don't, don't you understand what's truly valuable? And so, guess what the first thing Paul says is? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what I want to focus my life on. More than anything else, I want to know Him. And this word know is not to know second or third hand. It's first-hand experience. It's not knowing about Jesus. Like many people today who could literally go to even a Barnes & Noble and pick up a book on the life of Jesus Christ and read it and somehow think, well, because I know more about Jesus now, I close the book. I'm full of joy, right? No, no. This word know is a relational word. It is a word that was used to to share with people how you and I can only really get to know each other as we spend time together, as we relate to each other, as we commune and communicate with each other. And it's got to be a one-on-one thing. I can't really know you even through somebody else, even if they know you quite well. I've got to do it myself. It's got to be firsthand. It's like I've shared with you before. And many of you know my love for Civil War history. And I've shared with people, you know, you can you can learn about the Battle of Gettysburg, say, or a place like that by reading a book. And that will give you a greater understanding that maybe you had before if you never read about Gettysburg. That's one level. Or you can unfortunately spend a few minutes with me and let me throw up all my information on you. And maybe that might be better than reading the book, but you know the best way to really get to know Gettysburg is to get on a plane from Sky Harbor and fly into Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, drive a little bit further south and get out of your car and start traversing and navigating those hills. And walking through Devil's Den and walking up Little Round Top. And walking through the peach orchard in the wheat field. And actually smelling it. And feeling it. And seeing what it was like even from a soldier's perspective. To look across that mile long field where Pickett and his men would make that final charge on the third day of the battle. And put yourself there. There's nothing like that personal first-hand experience. And far too many Christians today, one of the reasons why we lack joy in the church today like we should have it is because we really aren't knowing Jesus Christ anymore. We're knowing about Him. And we're learning about Him ourselves from second and third hand sources. But you and I aren't truly spending enough time with Jesus to know Him. 
And then Paul goes even further. Paul says the second greatest value is once you know Jesus, all you want to do is gain him more, which is why he says, and I want to gain more of Jesus Christ. I know now he is my treasurer. And therefore, I just want to experience this treasure even fuller than I already have. You see, Jesus Christ, according to Paul, is not our ticket. He's our treasure. And so many, even Christians, he's like, I got my ticket to heaven. I got Jesus. That's great. You've got your ticket. But he's got to go from being your ticket into eternity to the treasure of your heart. That's when you and I will truly experience joy in our life. That's why Paul says to the Philippians, not only knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, Paul said. In other words, he's saying, I left a lot go so that I could know Jesus more. And again, people would feel so sorry for Paul. Paul. You missed out on so much, just like a lot of Christians. Oh, you're missing out on so much that that you could experience out there in the world by, by being such a fanatical Christian and going to church all the time and reading your Bible and praying and connecting with God and fellow believers. You know what Paul said? All those things that people thought I missed out on, I regard them as what? Yeah, poo. Paul says, I didn't miss out on anything. Wow, that's something that the church really needs to get today. Because so many of us, even as Christians, somehow think, man, if I don't experience that, I'm going to miss out. And Paul's saying, I never missed out on anything by pursuing Jesus Christ more. I never lost anything. I gained Jesus Christ. And he says, the only other thing of value for me is this. I want to be found in him. I want to just continually live in the environment of Jesus Christ. And especially on judgment day, which is what he starts to look forward to. He says, so that when I get to judgment day, I am found in him. Not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness that he provides for me. Because that's the only difference it's going to make. Am I in him or am I not in him? And Paul says, I want to make sure that I am found in him. The next thing he says is, I want to experience the power of his resurrection. I want to experience the power that humbles pride, that conquers sin, and that exalts Jesus Christ, Paul said. That's the kind of power I want pulsating through my life. The kingdom of God is not demonstrated in idle talk, but in power. And so many Christians and so many churches are nothing more than powerless structures rather than vessels of the supernatural power of God. And then Paul says, and I just want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. I just want to live my life every day knowing that that's my ultimate destination. That's what I'm aiming for, to stand face to face with Jesus and to be raised to unending glory. That's all that matters for me. These are the things, Paul said, that, will truly, that are truly valuable and will bring us the greatest joy in our life. But Paul says, why are you in Philippi settling for seeking things that will make you happy rather than experiencing the joy of the Lord? So circle all the way back to chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, rejoice 
in the Lord. Folks, we need to learn to experience the joy that only comes from God. And we need to be willing to fight for it. Because it's not something that, you know, is not going to just be handed to us. Nor is it not going to be something that's not going to be sought to be undermined or robbed from us or attacked from us. Which is why Paul said we've got to be on guard at all times. So that we can keep this joy that God has given us as a great gift. A joy that He wants to implant in your life and my life that no circumstance can ever erase. That's the joy Paul's talking about here. Do you have that joy this morning? And if not, then guess what? You can start experiencing that joy right now, this moment. Just say, Jesus, I want you to be the greatest treasure of my life. I want to start focusing my life, God, on what is truly valuable. And I am realizing once again, it is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It is gaining more of Jesus Christ. It is experiencing His power. That's what's truly valuable. That's what will bring me joy. It all goes back to Jesus. Let's stand, please, and close in prayer. Father, you have reminded us today that we're not talking about something very difficult here. Something so deep that we can't grasp or comprehend. It's actually very simple. It goes back to the whole principle of just seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's all about putting Jesus Christ first and being preeminent in our lives. It's about never leaving our first love, and our first love should always be Jesus Christ. So Jesus, we are to be known as a people who exalt in Christ Jesus, who lift you up, who magnify you, who say with our lips and our life, that you, Jesus, are everything. May we all rededicate ourselves and reorient ourselves back to Jesus. Realign ourselves back to you, Lord, this morning so that we can truly experience the joy of the Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.